I'm Robin Amlo of IBS Intelligence, and I'm joined today by Richard Mears, Director of Security Technology and Strategy at Akamai. It's obviously been something of an unusual year, so let's talk about the threats that we've seen in cyberspace. What are the trends you've been picking up on? Gosh, uh, where, where to start? I mean, the 2020 has been a very interesting year. I think in the UK, especially, we did an analysis of the number of application attacks that we'd seen over the course of the year on the Akamai platform. And we'd seen a, a threefold or 200% increase between attacks on January 1 and to, to September the 1st this year. And a threefold increase is quite surprising over that period of time. We've also seen uh, an increase in DDoS attacks particularly against a, a certain verticals. Uh, I think the, the financial services vertical was especially targeted for DDoS around August this year. There was a, an FBI uh, notification that was sent out regarding what's called a ransom DDoS. And a ransom DDoS is very different to what people often confuse it with, which is ransomware. Ransom DDoS is, is different. Ransomware is when something is compromised and you already had everything co- encrypted. Ransom DDoS is something different in the sense that it's basically the equivalent to somebody coming up to you in the school playground and saying, give me your lunch money, otherwise I'm going to hit you. And this is exactly how a ransom DDoS works, is that they say, we want to get five Bitcoin from you, otherwise we're going to take you down with a very large DDoS attack. If we don't believe we can do a DDoS attack, here's a small one just to show that we're serious, and they'll hit you with a small DDoS attack. To be honest, the small DDoS attacks have actually been very large as well. They've been 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, up to about 100 gigabits per second. So ransom DDoS attacks have been very, very popular at the moment as well, particularly in financial services, but also in other verticals as as well. Well, we've obviously all, and by all, I'm not just talking about as individuals, but also corporately, we've obviously been working more online, we've been living more online, it's inevitable, I suppose, that there would be an increase in these attacks. Have you seen an increase in commitment to managing them and working against them from companies and from individuals? I think it depends if you're looking at it from a personal perspective, or you're looking at it from a corporate perspective. I think from a corporate perspective, I think organisations have, have tried as best as they could as we all shifted from a very sort of centric, central uh, low structure to the way we were working to a very disparate structure with everybody working from home. Organisations did have tried to maintain the security integrity of their employees uh, as best they can. And a lot of that relied upon things like using VPN technologies and leveraging those. And I, I think in a lot of cases, those got pushed to the limits of their capacities and really, the, the, the VPNs were ideal for, for certain circumstances, but not ideal for all. And they did introduce potential problems by the fact that people are sitting at home with all their other devices on their home network and their smart fridges and their smart doorbells sitting at home on that network that they're now VPNing into the corporate network. And there's always that potential of um, a, a bit of an attack being from a compromised machine on somebody's home network, being able to, to leverage that through into the corporate network. But that said, I think that we've seen a lot of organizations wanting to get smarter in the way that they deliver their applications to their users. And I think companies now realize that 
with users potentially working from anywhere in the future because they're not going to rush all back into the office. The users can be anywhere and applications can be anywhere. And therefore, having to route everything through a central hub, a central security stack is not always the best way of doing it. And therefore, trying to leverage the internet and the cloud to be able to connect users and applications is a far smarter way of doing it. And then it helps to deliver new applications while maintaining uh, additional levels of security. What have companies been doing? You've obviously gone into some detail there, but what have companies been doing to innovate while remaining secure? I think a lot of companies may have been looking to see how they can leverage uh, additional cloud services. Obviously, within the cloud, you have the ability of speed of deployment, which has helped to provide the capacity needed for all the additional people working from home. In terms of other services, it's, it depends on the vertical, to be honest. I mean, some organ- we've seen a lot of organizations say that have been traditionally in bricks and mortar have had to ramp up their online services significantly because everybody's now working from home and they want to still get access to those services, be they commerce or the e-commerce or shopping online, whatever they want to do. Those services maybe only accounted for, the online services maybe only accounted for 10% of their revenue. Now it may account for 80% of their revenue. So they've had to leverage leverage either on-prem or, or, or cloud services to be able to expand their services without compromising on security. What, from your perspective, has been the, the impact of the pandemic on cloud investments? There was a lot of sort of, green lighting for projects that would normally go through a lot more scrutiny. Obviously, the the cloud provided the ability to be a lot more agile for certain projects. I think a lot of projects still will take three or five years. It's not every single project that's been expedited. There are certain things around around access and around usability that obviously had to to get uh, accelerated to provide that capacity for their workforce. The cloud obviously provides the scalability because it, you don't have to be running around your own, your own data center putting in new TIN and new connectivity and, and new bandwidth. So you can obviously leverage the cloud to get that scalability. So I think, yes, organizations will have been using that, using the cloud extensively. I think the, the nature, the inherent problems with that is that as you've got a, a huge amount of internal training that you need to do to ensure that these services are deployed as effectively and as securely as you would do. And when anything is is rushed, you always want to try and stick with what you know. So maybe organizations have sort of just stuck with what they knew rather than saying looking at other clouds because they may have better options, better, maybe better financially for egress to be on one cloud. It may be better for compute on another cloud system, but they didn't want to complicate uh, and introduced new technology into, into their stack. So they stuck with what they knew and, and focused on a, maybe a single cloud strategy, but they'll want to move to multi-cloud when they realize that there are additional benefits to gain. But I think okay. that will take a little bit longer. We talk about the cloud as being this amorphous thing, but it's <laughs> just the cloud. You, you no. mentioned multi-cloud. How has that been affected over the course of this year? And what are the trends you see there? You, took, you, you did mention that some people might want to start looking at that. I think the, the benefits of multi-cloud when it's assessed 
comprehensively is that you do get the ability to use the best components out of each individual cloud infrastructure. There are price benefits that you can get from utilizing the functionality of one cloud against another. There are technology benefits, there are compute benefits. And I think a lot of organizations will find something that they're comfortable with and not really venture outside that. But I think as organizations become more mature in their cloud adoption, that they will begin to start looking at other services from other from other cloud providers to help augment that. At, at the moment, I think it's relative, most organizations will probably have most of their cloud within one particular cloud vendor and maybe have a couple of bits and pieces from others. But I think that will start to, 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 to expand out as I think the, you know, the cloud providers are going to want to differentiate themselves as well. Is it useful to be multi-cloud when you're looking at that as an issue of in, in terms of security and you talked about denial of service attacks? Does multi-cloud bring a benefit there? Oh, that's, that's quite interesting because in, in a way, the more services you have to protect, you essentially have to create a, uh, a service that is able to protect everything. So you wouldn't want to necessarily say, I'm going to take all my security from that provider, and then I'll take all my security from another provider, and then all my security from another provider from each different cloud provider, because that means you then have to skill up in all of those different services. So sometimes it's a lot easier just to sort of say abstract the security to a cloud provider, which is essentially cloud agnostic. So it doesn't matter if you're protecting your on-prem services, your data centers, if it take your, your maybe your hosting provider or your cloud hosting provider. You want something that's going to be able to sit in front of all of that and provide a single policy that you can put over the your entire infrastructure, your entire estate and be able to manage that as one rather than having to go and have individual components that you need to manage individually. Uh, because the more you do that, the more complexity you add and the more chance there is for, for, for error and misconfiguration and therefore a breach. Final question then, what's the key development that you see for 2021 and what's the key trend? If you'd asked me that at, at the beginning of the year, I think the answer would be completely different. I think we are going to have to make remote access smarter. I think that that's going to be very important for 2021. I think 2020 was about making sure everybody could get access to what they needed to get access to, but I don't think it was necessarily the smart way of doing it. I don't think it was necessarily the most efficient way of doing it or the most secure. But I think what we'll do in 2021 is we will basically move away from stitching networks together and and elevate it up to connecting users to applications. I think that's going to be very, very important in 2021 because now users are working from home, but in 2021, they're not going to be working from home. They're going to be working from the home. They're going to be working from the office. They're going to be working from lots of other interim places as well. And we need to have the same level of access. It doesn't need, it shouldn't be confusing to end users. I think end users went from working in the office to working at home. And for a lot of people, this was a big shift. This was a big culture shift, a big change in what they want to be able to do. Where they work and how they work shouldn't impact how they use their laptop. That should be seamless wherever they are. And I think making that as easy as possible for the end users is going to be pretty critical in 2021. Thank you very much, Richard Mears, Director of Security Technology and Strategy at Akamai.